0: Welcome to Citroen Cooperman's C-Suite Snacks podcast, providing the middle market with brief, concise, and tactical business improvement information in just 30 minutes. I'm Steve Ronan, the leader of our consulting and outsourcing practices, and your host. Join me each week ad-free as I dive into top business issues and growth strategies with the best in the business. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And please visit us at citrincooperman.com. And now for this week's episode, we hope you enjoy. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to this week's installment of C-Suite Stacks. My name's Steve Ronan, the host of today's webinar, the leader of Citron Cooperman's consulting and outsourcing practices. Joined by Sean Gagnon, partner at Cambridge Insurance Advisors, to discuss how to use benefits to attract and retain talent and ways to keep them cost-effective in a market of continually rising expenses. So without further ado, I'll turn it over to Sean to begin today's session. Sean, take it away.
1: Morning, Steve. Thanks, everyone, for having me. Or Early afternoon on the East Coast. Appreciate the uh, opportunity to speak and the topic. I think everyone's concerned with costs as they rise, how that impacts uh, overall recruitment of employees, retention of employees as well. So I'm Sean Gagnon, Cambridge Insurance Advisors. i um, happy to have a few moments to speak with you uh, today. So quick agenda, we'll cover some opening remarks on Benefits in general, what costs are, some survey results we've done. Um, that bleeds into the employee opinions, uh, the benefits culture piece. You know, why are your employees leaving or staying? The cost c- uh, containment elements to be considerate of as you get into renewals or planning for making a change financing wise. And then some predictions on maybe where the future is going, benefits, and some things we're already seeing trending. So excited to have you. So, just a snapshot here. This was a survey done by SHRM. What are the most popular employee perks? Um, you see right there paid vacation. Um, coming in first at 98%. You have 401k plans at 93%, and then mental health at 83%. I'd say when you look at this slide, one main takeaway here, mental health benefits, the awareness and implementation of them both rising, I think for a lot of good reasons. Um, Paid vacation ties into that work-life balance element, which is a thread that comes through very strongly in all of our conversations with employers or things we discuss from a strategic standpoint. And then obviously 401k, when you look at what people are doing in their future and at some point um, retiring. So a little snapshot there. And then big takeaway on this slide is when you look at what employers want to accomplish, 87% of them want better employer retention. So how do we go about accomplishing that? That's a lot of the strategy and dialogue we have, not only from a cost standpoint, but benefits and strategy communication. So the one thread that reigns through on this page is just what is your communication strategy? What's your employer brand? Um, Once you have an employee and you're looking to retain them or empower them to grow throughout their career, what is that track? How are you communicating that? So I think all really important things outside of just purely what's the year over year cost increase or decrease on a benefit standpoint. These are a lot of soft things you can do to empower employees, both uh, to attract new ones and to keep those um, that you want on board as well. Getting into the cost containment. Uh, it's hard to predict cost containment or, or drive cost containment strategies and projecting where the increases will be without knowing where some of the larger claim elements lie. So when you look at this slide, a couple of takeaways here. This was some statistic pulled over the last couple of years. Cancer continues to be the most frequent large claim. Uh, you see cardiovascular claims up there as well. High blood pressure, diabetes, diabetes. Um, in a management stage, there's different programs you can do from a disease management standpoint to mitigate some of the impact of these ongoing chronic claims. Some of the larger shock claims, there are programmatic things as well. I think it gets into the skew of are you serving your employees, looking at different wellness avenues that not only drive ROI, but help point out where some of your larger claims may lie so you can get out ahead of them before they come um, bad elements on your, your p and so I think the biggest thing any company looks at, you know, it's hard to address cost containment in a vacuum. So going in year over year or in your first year planning, having a defined strategy, understanding where pain lies today, what are the outcomes you're trying to achieve? Um, you know At Cambridge and, and many other good consulting firms, I think the, the point of emphasis is not to be tied to any risk financing platform. So you see on that right-hand side of that first bucket there, all the different risk financing strategies you can deploy, and there's others as well, but everything from professional employer organizations through stop loss with different administrators, maybe a separate uh, pharmacy benefit manager, there's a lot of different things you can do. But it first starts with sitting down at the table with all the key stakeholders, identifying where that pain lies today, establishing a plan, and then carrying that plan through for a multi-year approach. You know, you're gonna have a few good years where you have tremendous claim experience, you're gonna have a rough claim year, that's just statistics, but if we have a multi-year plan, we can easily address those, find out where things are trending, get out ahead of large claims, and put you in a better position to be able to manage that cost year over year. Some things in the bottom right hand, you'll see trending, You know the direct primary care, the onsite clinics, and the reference-based pricings. Those are probably our seminars in their own, but direct primary care for sure is taking hold as, are, as is the onsite clinics, just easier access for your employees to procure care and uh, see their doctors get out ahead of their well checkups and uh, prevent those larger claims. A few things we're doing well, as there are other consultants throughout the country doing well, trying to help small to mid-sized businesses buy above their company size. And what I mean by that is if we can band companies together, they can buy at the size of an Apple or a Microsoft, which gives them tremendous leverage in the buying market. So one of our programs has about 1,100 members in aggregate about 325,000 lives. You'll see there about 410 million in premium. All that's good and well. The main takeaway is, again, at scale, you are able to procure insurance and reinsurance costs at a much more favorable number in terms than you would be standalone as a 50, 100, 120 person company or even smaller companies than that. So see a lot of aggregation programs to buy at scale. And then one of the biggest benefits to cost containment you'll see here outlined, I think it ties into that. What is your plan of attack going into a renewal? What are the vendors at the table that allow you to create an assembly line that drives outcomes that you want to achieve for your employees? So we're not tied to any one vendor. I mean, it basically is bringing best of class to each segment of your plan. That could be pharmacy cost containment with specialty drugs rising. We have different aggregation programs there to buy pharmacy uh, specialty drugs that scale or carve them out of the program. We have the specialty networks that have discounts on MRIs or certain surgical costs. Um, Analytics, we are huge proponents of that, driving uh, predictors of where your risk factors lie and, and getting out ahead of some of those larger ongoing claims. You know, just the care coordination too. God forbid you have an employee go into a cancer claim. That's a really stressful situation stressful not only for HR if they know that's going on, but for the employees. So how are we helping them in that moment of claim drive the outcomes needed or the best care coordination as well? And then you'll hear me throughout this presentation on some of the regulatory compliance that ties in just making sure your plan documents align with where you think claims are going to be paid and how they are in fact actually paid. And then population health management as well. There's a number of things we can do from wellness standpoint to other things we're building into plan to drive certain um, behaviors from where people are going, point of contact or using services. So main thing here is build the best assembly line possible for cost containment. And then a few new concepts in the market. You'll see the ICRAs, the CUSERAs, those are some things trending recently. Uh, think of them, uh, and again, this is a one-off seminar. We could do you know, 45 minutes alone on these two programs, but they're essentially expanded HRAs. So more favorable terms allow you to either Offer this as, as one-off as your plan and set a defined contribution amount. So an employee can go to NICRA an and procure benefits typically done through the private market. Think of that as individual. Certain states have better individual markets than others. QSERAs um, have you know let, some more restrictive terms, but both uh, seeing upticks just another way and, and something else to throw in the blender from achieving the outcomes you want that skews a little bit from the traditional group healthcare plan. This is much more defined contribution. Onus on the employee to go out and procure their plan. The benefit is they're actually picking a plan that hits all the checks, checks the box for all the things they would like to see in a medical plan. So, more to come on that stuff as well. You can go to our website with we a bunch of tutorials or uh, guides on uh, ICRAs and QCERAs. So just, you know, a piece that we go through with all clients or or aspiring new partners. I mean, this is a yearly approach. So it's a 12-month rolling calendar. If you're in that multi-year approach, this is something we're doing every year, as well as any good consultant should be. Just making sure your goals are hit. We're doing everything, getting the data we need to predict underwriting, what the renewal is going to be, all the benchmarking data, the claim analytics, and then obviously doing effective renewal marking. And you need all that data to go out and, and actually get effective RFP results when you go out to different carriers or financing platforms. And then most importantly, at time of renewal, once pan plans are picked, what is that open enrollment strategy? And how are you communicating open enrollment with your employees? Is there the education in place so they know the plans offered, they know any nuances, features you've built in year over year. I think you know, if, if COVID has taught us anything, the craving for positive communication is there. Companies are spending a lot of money on their benefits package. Time and time again, we're walking into those situations where maybe the communication or education to employees has not been there. So we really harp on that. We want your employees to feel uh, positive about the plans. Each one of you are spending a lot of money on these benefit programs. So, you know, most importantly, it's probably communication outside of the strategy as well. And then tremendous demands on meeting human capital today. You know, we're in a pretty tight uh, labor market, you know, whether you're trying to recruit new employees, uh, for open jobs or trying to keep those uh, that you want to retain, a ton of demands on you as the employer. So if have you go to the next slides. We we talk through some of the different elements. You know, a lot of that is being hit with spending additional amounts from an HR standpoint on the technology. So you see there about 58% of the companies, you know, spending more on technology that helps them attract and retain talent. Um, the annualized number, if you just took it across the board, it's about $483 per employee per year that each company spends on technology. A lot of employee and development, you know, if you have an employee you wanna keep, what is that development path? Have you articulated what their career track is at your organization? I think that's a very key piece. Um, and then improving the employer experience. I mean, I, I time and time again see employees leave or in their exit interviews, the takeaway is the employee experience at the organization or the culture wasn't exactly what the employee wanted to see. Um, just improving that I think will help with the retention You know, and about 38% of the workforce planning as well. You know, And there's a lot of different solutions to accomplish the HR um, spend and landscape. There's a lot of different vendors that do a lot of different things. One of the areas we've gotten heavily involved in as an organization is just helping companies go through that due diligence phase, not having to sit on each and every one of these hour long uh, education calls on what the vendor actually does, narrowing that down for you, similar to how an organization like ours would help you select a medical carrier or a disease management program. We do a lot of education, streamline it down to two or three based on conversations we've had for you or what the means are. But end takeaway of this page is a lot of different vendors um, out there to do a lot of different things. And then when you look at technology, the weaving in communication and overall benefit support, there's a lot of different mediums to handle that communication today. So whether you're doing it, you know, at some point we're back to, to fully on-site and doing those open enrollment meetings or communication meetings. Tremendous online capabilities through different call-ins and helping employees walk through their benefit elections. There's tremendous self-service employee tools where they can help with decision support and, and ending up uh, picking the best plans for their particular situation. But main takeaway is it's year-round. There's tons of technology that can help. It helps with employee engagement as well. The more you put in place from a technology standpoint to help drive certain behaviors in the benefits plan and the best outcomes for your employees. And that's some different things for predicting workforce trends and where we see some things going based on some statistics out there. You know, one of the biggest takeaways: work-life balance, work and health right now is completely intertwined. So many um, leaders of companies have missteps saying, you know, workforce—it's seven hours a day, 24/7. That is not my belief. I think the more you sprinkle in work-life balance, every statistics i reviewed from our company or others, the more you empower work-life balance, you're going to see higher production rates. You're going to have a better company culture, better retention of your employees I mean, it's all positive if you just keep grinding 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 i think everyone's going to be on the wrong side of employees leaving your company um, sooner rather than later so definitely the threat of, of work and health intertwined here and then just managing you know over the last year a lot of employees have left maybe where their company has traditionally been headquartered so whether that is you know in these charts some of those states that are read from an influx outflux standpoint see a lot of folks moving to florida Folks have left California, New York, uh, moving to different parts like Arizona, Texas, different centers that have fashioned themselves as whether it be tech hubs or very employee-friendly company hubs or all the different perks, work-life balance, and that is the driving thread. So the biggest challenge is managing all that movement from a compliance standpoint for you and HR or finance. um, And there's a lot of great tools to do that as well as additional leave laws come out. So the next slide, if you, you hop to that will show Just all the different state, local, and paid sick leave laws that are going into place. I think this is soon to be blue across the board where every state is going to have a leave law of some fashion. Maybe we even have a federal overlying law that controls some of this. But right now you see a number of states uh, have either come out on plans or have plans to um, adopt state and local paid sick leave laws on the docket. So just continuing to manage that um, has been an area of business for us over the last year. And then just really important statistics. I mean, we always try to harp on what are your employees saying? What do they want to see? So interesting stat here, because I think if you surveyed most people, people would think everyone's happy working from home and want to continue to do so before the option, which is very true. But 94% of employees are saying they'd like to spend at least one day in the office each week, where that becomes something to... Hit on head on from a challenge standpoint is if now you're an organization that has primarily been based in New York and you have 50% of your workforce that has moved out of that area and they want an office environment, how do you manage that? How do you how do you scale as an organization? So looking at the 94% uh, is a big takeaway. I think it's going to be a hybrid model for us to predict the future. We're not going back five days in the office, in my opinion. It's going to be some rotating schedule, maybe even rotating waves of employees, certain ones in on certain days, whether they're in a team that needs to collaborate or not. Um, and then you have those opportunities for your whole company on site if you're doing different corporate culture events things like that but the other slide to the right hand side a little hard to read on this one but just different levels of worry of those returning to the office as well so broken up by age groups i can blow this up a little bit and send it out later but just showing different age demographics on the tolerance of people when they want to come back or the level of worry of coming back in the office as well and then just COVID has driven a lot of different things you know as we've gone through wave one and two maybe a a potential wave three in terms of navigating COVID-19 and some of the benefits that have been uh, at the forefront given COVID. Paid leave, EAPs, uh, makes sense. More people in the hospital. Hospital indemnity insurance has gotten um, a lot of press and adoption recently. And mental health, again, I mean, a huge wave of making sure your employees have outlets. It's a very stressful time. There's a lot of great companies' tools out there. My sentiment would be have an ongoing commitment and approach to mental health and wellness versus just a tool that maybe sees early high-level adoption and peters out. Put a consistent approach into having your employees have access to mental health tools as well. Same thing, sentiment going for benefit, uh, wellness plans. Put something that can sustain versus something that's just a shiny tool and maybe has one month of adoption. And after that, people forget about it. Constantly change that. There's a lot of things you can do from wellness. And I think shifting the vantage point of wellness, does it truly just drive ROI or is it a piece of the culture? You can find a happy medium within both of those. I think you can accomplish both quite honestly. And then just the overall theme of transparency, whether it be fees and transparency of what folks like myself, other consultants are actually making to manage all these benefits. I would say request stewardship reports, understand what your consultant is making from a fee standpoint, but then also transparency of fees in terms of what different procedures cost as well. So this is a a tool called Healthcare Blue Book. It allows you to take a snapshot of what is the low cost, what is the high cost, what is the happy medium of a fee schedule for a service you may be looking up. Um, And this is a tool we provide or you can uh, procure on your own, but just gives employees the help to go and understand what is a viable cost. If an employee understands how to buy and get the, the best service for a fair price, that will have very positive impacts on your health care plan year over year. And that's something we push as well as just employee education. So they have those tools. They want to make good buying decisions for those that have higher deductible plans. This obviously is very close to the employee because the more they spend on a benefit, the more they will eat into that uh, deductible and have to come out of the pocket on their own if there's no HSA or HRA. So big proponents of transparency tools and continue to push that as well. We'll see continued adoption of that in the years to come as well. And then just one of the last slides I have today, just again, a lot of things we see, they're already in the here and now, they just continue to trend um, in that hockey stick fashion, whether it be telemedicine here represented as more in the virtual health category, and looking at that as a tool for your employees really hits the care coordination, the ease of use, if an employee has a sore throat versus having to go into it a doctor office setting, being able to call a doctor, get the right prescriptions potentially released to them and going to pick them up. Just a much better care coordination, saves a lot of time, not only for the end employee, but um, better ROI for the employer as well. The bottom right, that slide illustrates really the student loan repayment programs and the level of debt being carried by some of the millennials today or those in their first five years of their careers is tremendously burdensome. Just having the right tools, there's a lot of good programs out there that you can deploy as an employer that are very uh, inexpensive in the grand scheme of things to help your employees with some of those repayment tools as well life and disability just in this last year um, when we probably went from a state of everyone feeling they're invincible to seeing some of their own mortality potentially just having candid conversations about having the right life insurance or right disability in place if you have a group of key employees that you're trying to ensure protect because god forbid something happens to them it has a real negative impact on the company there's things we can do there Uh, as well from a a leadership benefit standpoint Um, caregiver benefits more and more people have different things going on at home and needing folks to take care of whether it be children significant others um, elderly parents grandparents there's a lot of different caregiver tools coming to market Um, we're helping companies vet those solutions as well and just promote the overall awareness and then mental health again key theme um driving adoption, helping employers understand what they can offer from a mental health benefit standpoint and how we can drive greater adoption. That'll continue to trend up. And then you see the pet slide represented there, pet insurance, but just the foster pet and folks that have gotten a pet over the last COVID year, um, those statistics have risen greatly as well. So if you want to retain your employees, I think these are all things to be considerate of outside of just the cost factor of what's the overall makeup of your benefit plan. And uh, do em- feel- employees feel like when they come to your organization or remain at your organization, you have a good selection of benefits they can choose from. So these are all key components as well. Really open it up, Steve, for any any questions we have or anything to, to chat about at this stage.
0: Yeah, no, we're getting some good questions coming in, Sean. And th- thanks, thanks for that. Uh, I know you know you, you and I have even worked on some clients where some of these newer trends have become like very, very important to uh, mm-hmm. fixing, you know pretty tricky situations that's empl- important for both them and their. Employees, so uh, great to get an overview of that today. Thank you. Um, so, a couple of things to react to. First is, uh, you know, one of our participants said one issue with health renewal is there are some employees, a few, uh, who would opt to, who would opt to pay more for a different carrier, um, and it's hard for them, really, companies to often comply with their request. A- any reaction to that, or ways to kind of work around
1: that that challenge? Yeah, I think it's just understanding what on your platform is available. So if you think about traditionally the professional employer organization, they typically may have one or two different carriers they're working with, depending on the geography of the the, uh, organization. Um, And there's a lot of different ways to structure whether understanding it really is a preference over a Blue Cross Blue Shield or a Cigna, or is it really a plan design preference? And then structuring plan designs that hit different levels of to check the box for each employee. So there's a few different ways you can articulate that um, depending on whether it's just purely a carrier issue or a plan design issue, but a lot of different things we can do to help employees have a number of different plan options or, or benefit designs for their employees.
0: Yeah. And with respect to that, Sean, you know, when we talk about, you know, plan designs and platforms, like what are, how should people be thinking of that in today's world? Does the size of a business impact it? Does industry impact it? Is it available? Are there more options available to more companies than they often realize? How should yeah,
1: I would impact? say there's many more options and there's different stigmas attached to different, I would call them funding strategies. So as a blanket statement, if I just said to 10 companies who are not self-funded today, less self-fund, that's a very scary term. But if you start to understand that, identify some of the drivers of your claim costs, you may realize that self-funding for your organization is definitely the way to go with some protectors around that, reinsurance, maybe some of the aggregate programs. You know, certain large employers may look at PEO and say, we're, we're too large for that coming back to that principle, maybe it is in fact the way to go because you're a multi-state operator. There's different nuances of the PEO landscape that makes sense for that organization. And then some companies that are self-funded today may look at fully insured and say, we've completely outperformed that. But in truth, in reality, your claims may be at such an elevated level where fully insured is the way to go. And those are all the things we look at kind of being agnostic to any funding strategy year over year. What is the best, best path forward? as we've identified that multi-year approach. And, you know, I think it just takes into account making sure we understand what the employer's goals are, what our goals are uh, as a quote unquote fiduciary of that plan design and, and financing structure. But there's, you know, a long winded way of saying, Steve, a lot of different ways to look at risk and, and finance risk.
0: Yeah, what I hear is it, it's really very dependent on the specific company, their sure. employee pool and their, and their risk profile, right? Even two, yeah, two identical companies of identical sizes might have to handle their their platforms. In
1: yeah. Different. Yeah, and oftentimes, you know, we'll get different employers say I have a friend at company XYZ and their benefits are so much more expensive or so much more cheaper. That is a a loaded statement just from a standpoint, there could be 100 differences between those two organizations just because both of them are 110 employees or whatever that number is.
0: Well, in that spirit, I mean, is are there any guidelines that you can give? I mean, this is a question we get all the time, right? What what do you employ? What share of benefits do employers generally pay, or what would be benchmark or average? Is there any guidance uh, available to help people answer that question? Yeah, I
1: mean, we have a ton of benchmarking. As good consultants have, you know, a ton of benchmarking to really narrow this down based on geography, industry. I would say if you just drew a line in the sand, about seventy percent for an individual. Uh, contribution out from an employer standpoint to an individual benefit plan is pretty fair within benchmark. Um, once you get into covering dependents and employer contributions, it'll skew a little bit depending on the overall mission of that organization and the plans offered. Um, and then some companies will contribute to a third party type program, whether it be a health reimbursement arrangement and HSA, those things will also move the needle up if ongoing uh, dollars are committed to helping offset deductible costs, things like that as well.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, great. And I guess, you know, to, to close it out for us, uh, turning that into kind of a competitive advantage question, right? How should companies look at viewing their benefits planning process and, and, and platform decisions, um, You know, from a hiring and a retention standpoint to make themselves more competitive in what is it, you know, honestly, especially in a lot of the skilled areas that we work in a very, very competitive talent marketplace right now. One
1: hundred percent. I mean, think about what your best asset is from a branding standpoint for your organization. It is your current employees. So starting is simply as saying, if you're not educating your current employees on the benefits and the dollars you're spending on that overall benefits plan to get a positive experience. If they bump into a friend or someone asks them or sees they work there on LinkedIn today, it's not terribly difficult to see where folks work. If they feel that call and say, well, I'm, I'm here because I really have no other options. The benefits stink, but the benefits in reality are great. Start with educating your employees. So If they get that call, they're the best cheerleaders for your organization. And then once you're actually trying to attract or retain talent, making sure if you're in an interview process for a key employee that you wanna hire, and they've hit those other steps in your hiring process, make sure you go through them, what the benefits are. Have them maybe talk to a few other members, not only in the hiring committee, but of other employees to say, look, we have a great benefits program here, a great work-life culture. Uh, you know, it, it all ties into that overall benefits feel, much more beyond just what is the dollar amount committed to a medical plan, or, what's the freebie happy hour you have? There, there's a, It's the whole ecosystem as well. So, use your employees to your, to your benefit from that standpoint and make sure as an organization you're leading with everything you spend on benefits and, and you understand what you're spending on and the ROI you're getting.
0: That's great. It's great. And I think it's a great place to leave it for today, Sean. So, thanks very much for being with us.